Okay, I'm Bernard, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. And um, we're here to celebrate Charlie and the We Agnostic group that he founded um, and to celebrate each other and our recovery. Um, and uh, we're going to briefly talk about our memories of uh, Charlie and our memories of early We Agnostics. And um, if you're anything like me, what it felt like to have a safe haven away from people proselytizing and, and telling uh, me what I had to believe and what I had to accept in order to stop drinking. Um, I knew that sounded wrong. I knew that it, uh, that wasn't uh, something that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous should represent. Um, and um, and I, I, I had gotten sober in a quite iconoclastic group, and uh, they, they invited me to be a, uh, a general service representative, and that's where I met Charlie. And when I heard Charlie talk about being 20 years sober at that time, uh, and uh, not believing in any kind of uh, God, being an atheist, um, I was immediately attracted to him and asked him to help me. And he invited me to agnostics, and I met most of you there. And uh, and uh, we're going to start with Elizabeth telling her stories about um, about Charlie and we agnostics and uh, all that it meant for her. And take it away, Elizabeth. Uh, thank you so much, Bernard, for reaching out to me. I appreciate that. And Bernard, how long am I supposed to speak for? can speak to you know 20 minutes or more you know just go ahead and 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 speak freely and and openly about how you feel uh what your memories are and what you how you feel okay thank you my name is elizabeth b uh i'll just say bar b-a-r-r -R, great name for a drunk that's my married name um and uh, my husband has since passed but I was always grateful for him to uh, to give me that great last name. Um, and I'm sharing my last name because that way folks can find me. And I live in San Francisco, California. Um, this November, uh, I'm kind of shocked about it myself, but this November I will have 40 years of uh, continuous sobriety. I got sober November 7th, uh, 1983. And um, I think I met Charlie when I was about six months sober. I was living in the LA area at the time. And I, uh, I was really, really struggling on so many levels. And one of the things that I was struggling with was um, um, the spirituality uh, in 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 Alcoholics Anonymous, because at that time I was definitely an agnostic, possibly an atheist. I was probably I, I don't think I ever was an atheist because I didn't have enough um, certainty to say definitively no, there is no God. I was like no, I'm, I'm an agnostic because I I don't I don't know what what there is or isn't, but I certainly didn't feel the presence of a higher power in my life at that time. And I had heard about, um, one of my buddies had told me about uh, we agnostics. 
and uh, it, that particular meeting was happening uh, at a hospital on Sunset Boulevard. And I went to the meeting and met Charlie, and he was the grand poopah of it. Um, he had started the meeting and just emanated tremendous warmth. He was uh, a caring, loving human being. Uh, and I, I reflected, he had started the meeting and um, I reflected on, you know, what is it that people who quote unquote believe in a higher power, what are they supposed to be emanating or demonstrating in their lives? And to me, it's all about love. A higher power is all about love and to, to, to be following a higher power is to be loving and kind and Charlie Polachek was certainly loving and kind. Everything about him was, uh, to me, everything I experienced about him was loving and kind. And I would talk to him about my struggles with a higher power. And I distinctly remember him picking up uh, his, his keys. And, uh, oh, okay, this is, uh, this is not keys, but this is a pin an ink pen and he he would um he would say he would say well i would i would say well how do you work the 12 steps without without a higher power without without god how do you, how do you do that and he said well i didn't say that i don't have a higher power i do have a higher power i just don't call it god and so he 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 lifted his his car keys and he dropped them on the floor and he said, that's my higher power. And I said, what do you mean? Is gravity your higher power? And he said, no, uh, no. Uh, what that means to me is that the life force the that is in the universe, that which guides the universe in with all of its, its laws, with all of its uh, scientific parameters, whatever that life force is that that causes my my keys to fall on the ground that 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 uh, imp, uh, that 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 demonstrates that is my higher power and i said are you this was you know 1983 and i uh, well by that time it was probably 1984 and i i said so you know the star wars movies were very popular and I said, do you mean like kind of the force that is in like the Star Wars movies? And he said, and I, we talked a little bit about Star Wars. And he said, yeah, I, if that helps you to understand what it, what I'm trying to, to convey uh, with my higher power, then yeah, you could you could use that if you if you want the force. And I I just loved that, and I. I got to a place of peace so that I wasn't struggling so much about, oh, I have to identify a higher power. Oh, I have to have God as I understand God. I have to come up with something in order for me to achieve sobriety. And um, so since that time, that was, like I said, nearly 40 years ago, I um I have gone through lots of different manifestations of my own higher power, all kinds of different things that I have used. 
And I still do not have a traditional higher power. I do have, I do believe in God as I understand God, but it's so loosely defined. It's probably still very akin to the force. May the force be with you. And um, I want to share a particular moving story and uh, a story about Charlie that that uh, I am so very, very grateful for. Um, um, I have bipolar disorder, which is to say that even though I've got 40 years of sobriety, I am a manic depressive and um, my my doctor says I have um, bipolar disorder with psychotic features. Oh, lucky me. And I still have like some hallucinations, although those are much more. Uh, I don't believe my hallucinations anymore, so I'm no longer delusional. But, you know, like I happen to be sitting in my dining room right now. And Bozo the Clown could come in through one of the doors with a machete. And there was a time in my life when I would go, oh, God, look, there's Bozo the Clown with a machete. And I would believe my own hallucinations. So fortunately, I don't I don't believe that anymore. But I still have bipolar disorder. So when I was um, I think it was, I was about two and a half years sober and I was living in uh, West Hollywood at the time, and I was going through a psychotic break. I was clean and sober. I was not on any medications, and I um, I thought that I was that there was poison in my food, and I could not eat any food because uh, because somebody was trying to poison me. Who I don't know. Oh, I remember now. I, I thought that the health department was after me because I was responsible for the AIDS epidemic and that there were these little cockroaches that had crawled inside my ears and were now running around inside my blood, my my blood vessels and that that these cockroaches were the were the AIDS virus and that they were they were in my house. And they were uh, swarming around West Hollywood and that the health department was after me and that if they if they found me, they were going to arrest me. OK, again, I'm two and a half years sober at the time. I did not have AIDS or the HIV virus. I did not have cockroaches. <laughs> so where I came up with this, I don't know. So in the middle of the night. I, you know, I was not sleeping, I was not eating, and I called Charlie Polachek in the middle of the night, and I was telling him that I was having internal bleeding, and could he, you know, could he please come, 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 come over to my house and, and check me out? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's tragic. It's very funny if it weren't so tragic. So I think I was about what was I, I was about hmm, 26 years old at the time. No, I was 27 years old at the time. So Charlie comes over to my house and, and, you know, my house is like filthy. There's 
just, I had trashed it. There's junk everywhere. No cockroaches, but junk everywhere. And he's, and I'm like, oh, I'm bleeding and I'm bleeding. And there's no blood anywhere. And he's calm as a cucumber, calm as a cucumber. And he, he just sort of, he ends up talking. Sorry. He ends up um, talking with my family. I had given, I would trusted him enough to speak to my family. Uh, my, they all lived out of town and they were concerned because they could tell I was, you know, not right. And um, they made a suggestion as to which hospital to take me to, et cetera. And I kept saying, but Charlie, I'm just not working the third step right. If I could just work this third step right, I'd be fine. And he goes, you know what? That's fine, Elizabeth. But in the meantime, let's have you go to the hospital. So he he drove me to a psychiatric hospital where I, um, I got some treatment and um, he was instrumental to my ongoing recovery after that. And uh, he was just a huge, huge, huge part of my life. And, um, you know, how many people in recovery are willing to take a call in the middle of the night like that? How many people are willing to take um, somebody who's in a psychotic break to a psychiatric hospital? How many people, you know, can can stay calm enough to help somebody in a psychotic break get to the hospital. He was a very, 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 very special human being. I miss him to this day. And um, I do want to let you know that, as I said, I went to that hospital and I said, oh, no, I'm fine. And I just need to work the steps better. And I left the hospital against medical advice. And another year and a half went by. And then I was looking down the, the barrel of a shotgun and I was going to take my life. And uh, I was sober, though, but I was going to kill myself. And um, and then I I said, you know, maybe something else is going on here. Maybe. Maybe I do need some outside help. So then I, I sought treatment from a psychiatrist. And I, I, to this day, I take psychiatric medications. But none of the psychiatric meds that I'm on are sold at any street corner anywhere in the world. Nobody would, would break down my door, find my medicine cabinet, grab the stuff and get loaded. It's really boring stuff. Um, all it does is it keeps me from killing myself and or killing you. And also it, it keeps me from hallucinating most of the time. <laughs> Actually, I'm doing pretty good in the hallucination stuff. I'm still a barrel of fun at times though. <laughs> uh, but I'm sober and my life is lots, lots better than it's ever been. And I doubt if I would ever have been able to stay, achieve, or maintain my sobriety without Charlie Polachek. And um, 
he he was an extraordinary human being. Um, I loved him. Uh, he he comes to mind frequently. I'm still in touch with people who remember him. Um, so uh, he was instrumental in my recovery, and I'm so glad that as a result of Charlie, um, that he you know he was sort of like a stone that you throw into a pond and then the ripples go out. And so as a result of a lot of hard work that Charlie did, the ripples went out and that we're all here, that many of you are here because of uh, the free thinkers movement. And thank goodness for free thinkers in, in AA uh, because free thinkers have has infiltrated other 12-step programs that you know, you don't have to believe in a deity, despite evidence to the contrary. It, it, by going to other meet, by by going to other meetings, etc. It's clear as a bell in the literature that you don't have to believe in a deity. Uh, a power greater than yourself is all that you need. G O D group of drunks. G O D good orderly direction, or as as how I interpreted Charlie's key, Charlie throwing his keys on the ground, um, the force from um, Star Wars. Um, anyway, I don't know if I have much more to add to this. Uh, I do want to thank again Bernard for asking me to share today. And uh, Bernard, I believe you live in Northern California, as as do I, and we'll have to look each other up some point. Um, anyway, uh, I want to thank you all for being here and my, uh, there's, there's a prayer uh, and don't cringe with that word, please. But there's a prayer that I always like to say, which is, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be, but by the grace of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am not what I once was. And that is for sure. I am not what I once was. I'm, I don't hallucinate like I used to. The, uh, when I was six months sober or so, I, I got into a, uh, a chain and uh, a, a chain and knife fight during the break of an AA meeting. Um, and I don't do that kind of stuff now. Um, and um, I've come a long way, a long, long way. Um, and uh, and my my wish for all of you is that your sobriety date never changes. So may you always have the sobriety date that you have now. Thank you so much. And uh, with that, I'm going to pass it back over to Bernard. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Um, we can. Uh, uh... We can unmute and thank her if you'd all like to clap or whatever. That's what we do in Southern California. May not do that in Ireland and may seem weird. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Jay Elizabeth. Awesome. And, um, you know, Me there's too. a particular order because I'm not a particularly organized person. And um, uh, uh, I, uh, again, would like to thank Maria for reaching out to uh, many of you who I didn't have your contact information and that you're here. Um, the next person I'd like to pick, if if Linda has the time, 
then I'd, I'd like to pick Bob because I remember Bob when I got to the room. And I know that he'll have something meaningful to say about Merle and uh, Charlie and the early agnostic. And so if Bob G could be our next panelist. Um, I, I am just stepping into uh, a dentist. I'll be available in 45 minutes, but I'm going to listen till then. Okay, great. Uh, then, Thank then, you. Then I also remember uh, Linda and Cheryl when I was new. So if between the two of you, you want to pick uh, who goes first, you, if you could, if you could please. Uh... I'll go. Okay. Hi, <laughs> thank you. Go ahead, Cheryl. Let me say, I'm retired now, so I'm flexible. Go for Great. it. Um, hi, I'm uh, Linda Carr O'Connor. I live in Santa Monica, California, and um, I have been here for most of my sobriety. Uh, I've also been to Ireland four times, so I hope to come visit you all wherever you may be at some point if I'm able to get away. I, I feel, Elizabeth, like I haven't seen you since my wedding. <laughs> You're in, you're in the pictures. Um, it's so good to see um, everybody here from from the meeting. Kind of relieved I don't have to see the inside of Bob's mouth though during the dental appointment. So, um, yeah, and that is I, I I always wish that everybody's sobriety date doesn't change. And I, I pretty much assume that everybody I've ever seen uh, in, in AA has just continued. Uh, I, I know that isn't necessarily the case, but, um, but it is definitely my hope. And I just, that's how I envision everybody just going on. Um, so I got uh, sober um, June 14th, 1984. And um, so in another week or so, I, I believe I'll have 39 years. Um, and uh, when I came to the We Agnostics meeting, I had a year. So I had been going to other meetings. And you know, I, I, I guess I've been primarily going to We Agnostics for so long or some version of it that, um, I don't have a really, really clear idea of exactly how God-fearing the rest of the meetings have gotten. But at that time um, in Los Angeles, well, I was working night shift. I was working at an um, all-night deli called Cantor's, which if you ever come to LA, you have to go. Um, it's a really um, interesting place, but it is a horrible place to wake up sober <laughs> and it's like so the the when I could get to meetings was like when I could get to meetings because I'd get off at you know usually four or six in the morning and then um but I, I was um I was recruited to AA by a psychic I had no idea what was wrong with me and um so when I went to um 
the psychic and he told me I should go to AA the next morning. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I work on it's like, no, he says you should go tonight. You should go tonight. And I like, well, I have to work tonight. Well, what time do you start? Well, I don't know if it was eight or six or eight or 10. And he said, oh, that's perfect. Ready to work. I know there's a meeting like right at this corner. I went to the MCC church. I walked in. It was all gay men. They could not have been more welcoming. And then he said to go to the next morning, too. And it's like, wait, go tonight and go to the next morning. And he said, yeah. And and he told me where to go the next morning at 730 in the morning. So I did that and um, got put on the road to happy destiny. But I was, um, I I wasn't like struggling in the regular meetings. They were very, um, they seemed pretty wild and free form to me. Um, um, But a couple of people told me I might really like this We Agnostics meeting. Um, And I'm like, I just really, I didn't have the nerve to go. I I just really didn't think I was cool enough to go. But after I had a year, I went, and apparently that's when they also lifted, they used to have uh, smoking and now it was no smoking, which was was kind of great. So so I went to the meeting um, after I had a year. And um, I'm telling you, it was like, better than college (laughs) the level of discourse was so wonderful um and it it was kind of um i mean you it's just like well the the way we shared was you would somebody would share and it, it was like a pretty substantial group that was all in one room it wasn't like an auditorium we were all kind of the chairs at that time were facing there was a perimeter and then people would face each other um so it felt very intimate but there must have been at least 50 50 or 60 people in that room and um uh there were no time limits (laughs) i mean at the time so it was always somebody from the meeting who would who would be the speaker um somebody we already knew that that um that would go on at length and then we would share um and uh so it was from 8 30 till 10 o'clock at night it was on a friday night and uh i know there is still some version of it i have not been for a while but it, um, i'm really talking about like the times that i went um back in the 80s uh 90s and and into the early 2000s um I know we're here to talk about Charlie. I just saw Charlie the other night. I was watching a video that my husband, who I met in We Agnostics meeting, um, uh, filmed on on two occasions. Uh, One was in July of 2000, when he was about to move to Austin. And we had a big potluck, as was our way. We would typically have um there would be parties at charlie's house uh in his yard and um there would also always be a solstice um gathering um in the winter so uh we we would all bring really good food 
Um, I will never forget Ernie Sanchez's empanadas. Uh, and he told me where he got them. And of course, I didn't write it down. And it's been a long time and he's died. Like, but they were really good. Charity Carlson would bring gifts for everybody in the room. As she had, um, my impression is very little money. Um, but I'm telling you, she would have a special gift for everyone. I'm just crying thinking about it. I mean, it was really, really special. So um, anyway, uh, at this at this this um, gathering to to is Bon Voyage Charlie. Um, you know, it was it was really nice. I have it on on VHS tape. I know. Um, come on, the many many artifacts I have that need to be digitized. Um, but I have, you know, a pretty substantial collection here. My husband was very keen on documenting um, things and and AA uh, specifically. I have, you know, a ton of speaker tapes on cassette, um, but I also have this uh, Bon Voyage Charlie tape. And on it, um, he just is speaking about among other things, his his higher power. So he, in it, he explains that entropy was his first higher power. And, uh, but he came to believe that there was a bit negative. <laughs> so then he moved on to gravity. So I think the key drop must have been a holdover from that until he moved on to the total energy of the universe. <laughs> um. So Joseph has him just speaking while we go around. He, he's going around the room and showing all the, the people who were in the room. I wasn't there. Bernard was there. Not everybody in the universe was there. The energy in the universe was there, but not everybody was there. Um, and then there's the next section on the tape um, where you flash forward to March of 2021 and He's still in Los Angeles. <laughs> so this time he really is moving. Though. He really is moving. The um, assisted living fell through. His wife, Jean, um, was disabled. And um, apparently the uh, facility was not actually equipped to provide the level of care that she needed. And so they <laughs> had to come up with another plan, which they did. He had um, three sons living in Austin and they got an apartment and I think everything worked out. Um, I also have somewhere in this house um, a tape of his memorial, um, which was which was lovely. Uh, and Joseph also recorded that. Um, so, yeah, it was. Um, it was a very freewheeling meeting. Um, I had the food commitment for some time. I, I, I really, really looked forward to it. I had, um, I felt a large budget. I was criticized by one person one time, like maybe that was, we were spending a little bit too much, but it's like, hey, you know, the, the hospital was giving us the room for free as their public service. And we were alcoholics. 
on a Friday night. I mean, what the hell if we can't. So I got like really good food, like food that I really couldn't afford to be buying for myself, <laughs> like, like really high, high quality uh, uh, natural food store uh, snacks and some sub substantial um, food. Um, and it was it was like very nice. Um, I met my husband there. Um, and uh, very sadly, he died um, three and a half years ago. Um, so he won't be popping into the frame anytime soon. Um, but uh, that was um, a, a lot of a lot of great people um, were there. We had our share of movie stars here and there. Um, but very, very little of any talk of God. It just wasn't an issue. I mean, and like a lot of times now when people come to, you know, a we agnostics meeting for the first time, um, or if they're asked to lead or share it when they, they feel like that's the issue. Like, well, I got to talk about that, or I don't know what to say, or I do believe it. You know, it's like, and it was just like, it gets kind of tedious. <laughs> and that isn't like always the case, but that was just like, it just wasn't an issue. So, you know, and, 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 but there was always help, you know, for the person who was feeling indoctrinated. Um, and, you know, certainly there are people in the program who I, I never was personally pressured to have, um, you know, religious or quasi-religious beliefs of any kind in AA, but I understand it's fairly common. I also like, you know, go to like one meeting a week. So I'm not, you know, I mean, it's worked for like almost 39 years. So, hey, you know, I must be doing something right. But, um, uh, you know, it, it just, it just was, was not an issue. Um, so, I mean, there was a great tradition also of public service within AA. We were fully part of AA, we still are. Um, I think that's important. Um, I have minutes from old general service meetings um, from the eighties and, um, you know, we're, we are mainstream AA. We just like, you know, we work the steps. You can read the book or not read the book, <laughs> you know? And this is just a lot of, a lot of long-term sobriety. Um, but I was, I, I was and still am extremely grateful for the, for the We Agnostics meetings, um, for the format. I am one of those people that just like shares about what's going on with me. And I haven't had it like particularly easy. I had a daughter with disabilities 30 years ago, almost 31. Um, and, you know, the safety net in this country sucks. <laughs> it just really does. And there are advances we've made in the law that, um, you know, that in practice end up mostly just being words if there isn't the funding and the infrastructure to support the laws and the rights that we supposedly have. So it's been um, 
you know, a great loss of personal freedom for me. And, you know, having lost my partner in, um, you know, supporting this, uh, this child, um, it has been hard. I mean, I, you know, I can't say like, you know, I can't exactly say my life is better than it's ever been. But on the other hand, I'm a better person than I've ever been. I didn't want to be this good. <laughs> it's like, it was not my goal. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm delusional. But, um, uh, you know, I'm somebody I can live with. It's a good thing. <laughs> I have to live with myself. But. Um, I was a lying sack of shit when I came into the program, you know, and I knew that and I didn't trust myself anymore. And um, I didn't know what the problem was. And um, I found out. <laughs> I found out what the problem was. I'm extremely lucky that uh, I haven't had um, the desire to. Um, drinker use since I miraculously got sober when I wasn't even intending to. <laughs> I'd given all my money to the psychic. He told me what to do. <laughs> I did it. I didn't have any better ideas. I mean, so many times what I do comes down to <coughs> I don't have any better ideas. So I I take the next indicated step. Um, I, I I just want to close by sharing a um, a, a relic with you, um, which I've I've told Bernard I'm going to be sending to him um, that Joseph preserved, and I I see it's 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 gotten a few cracks. I'm afraid I have a, a very um, um, a cleaning lady who just like has to clean everything and I, I'm afraid maybe she's been cleaning the relics <laughs> that needs a proper reliquary but this is a cup one of Charlie Politech's cups so he would sit there in the meeting and draw on the cup throughout the meeting and you can see this in the video where he's just starting a cup it has the original probably has some DNA if anyone wants to clone him <laughs> But um, yes, this is, this is, there, if there's two cups. Oh, there were two. Okay, so there are two. And it's, if this one is signed, CP. You think we could auction, think I could like make a lot of money off of this, finally make some money off of AA. <laughs> Now's my time. What do I hear from this Charlie Politic? <laughs> Original cup. No, I would never do that. Um, Anyway, um, it's really wonderful being here. Um, thank you, Bernard, for asking me to do this. I'm so glad um, that I am able to. And you may see me step away from the, the thrill card catalog. It's not a, <laughs> not fake. I'm, I'll be tempted to start digging through here, looking for pictures from the parties at um, at Jean and Charlie's house. Uh, but um I should be able to hang out for the rest of the meeting and I'm uh, glad to be here and, and thank you very much. All right, let's all thank uh, Linda for her. Thank you, Linda. And uh, um, uh, 
we're going to uh, hear a few words from a friend of mine that I met at the uh, Unitarian uh, uh, Church building, um, who has always meant a lot to me. But before um, Elizabeth has to go back to work, she wanted to say a few words about Merle. And then um, I'll introduce Sean. And uh, if if uh, it, because we're we're celebrating all of the founders of Weignostics, and Merle was a big part of that, as was Jerry Buchanan and Ernie Sanchez. And these these men, they thought for themselves, and and they they uh, practiced the principles. Um, as far as I understood them. Uh, they were meaningful to me, as I'm sure they were to all of the participants that were asked. So, Elizabeth, the, the floor is now yours. Uh, thanks. I, I have to, I'm so, unfortunately, I have to go to back to work here, and I didn't realize the uh, the structure of what was happening here because I just do I do want to honor, as you said, uh, Ernie Sanchez and Merle and Jerry Buchanan. They're, they're all gone now, and Joseph's gone, and Charity, and so many of them are gone, and um, it's just great to see, Linda, you're hysterical, as you always were. Uh, it was, it's good to see you, and I do, I remember your wedding, but anyway, um, uh, I just wanted to thank you all, and, and, and give you all a big shout out, a big hug. And it's great that we can be together in, in a virtual world. And all of those people that I just mentioned, I, I wouldn't be here without them. And I wouldn't, truly, I wouldn't be here without all of you as well, because it's, it's we're all links in a chain. And uh, I, I need other people in order to survive. Um, I can't do this on my own. And I don't want to hog the floor, but I did want to mention that. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the time. And maybe there'll be some other event like this or a WEAGS on Zoom that I'd love to hear about. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Bye, everyone. Bye, Elizabeth. So as I mentioned, there was a Sunday uh, night, I think it was, if my memory serves me correctly, in this really beautiful building in West LA. And it, it was normally a, uh, a, a Unitarian church building. And uh, a, uh, a man that meant a lot to me and was there when I got there uh, was Sean. And, it, and, and Charlie would also attend that meeting. And I'm sure he has a lot of memories about that meeting and uh, Charlie. So if you'd all welcome Sean. Thank you, Bernard. My name is Sean Meehan. I am an alcoholic. I too, got so I too got sober in 1984, the year Ronald Reagan was elected to his second term in office. That's kind of a shocking idea. Anyway, so I got sober because I had to. There was no legal consequences if I did not, but I was dying due to heart issues and things that were precipitated by my alcoholism. So uh, I quit drinking. And I knew that the only path for me to survive as a human being was to embrace this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous. And the path within Alcoholics Anonymous 
was 100% abstinence from alcohol. And um, so I, uh, I made the commitment that I wanted to live. And I started attending AA meetings in Southern California. My, and I was not one of those people that came into AA and immediately felt this, I'm happy, joyous, and free. My feelings then were, I wanted a fucking drink. And I was angry. And, um, but I started to go to AA meetings. And one of the things, one of the people that approached me and asked to be, if I wanted him to be my sponsor, was to address the anger issue that it really was essential that I uh, accept this concept of a higher power that really reeked of Catholicism. And I played along with him for a couple months and then said, you know, I can't do this. You know, I am sober. I am committed to being sober, but I'm not going to join a cult. And I felt that AA at that particular time, at least the meetings that I was going to, was very uh, fundamental in its theological bent. But as so I quit going to meetings and after about six months, I had this overwhelming need to find people with a similar experience that understood what it was like to feel the anxiety of living life uh, without the tool of alcohol. And I started to meeting shop and through about three months of meeting shopping in Southern California, I noticed in the directory that there was this meeting on Friday night and Sunday night called We Agnostics. So I thought, well, what the hell? It's going to be one of two things. It's going to be a big book thumper bunch of bullshit, or potentially it was going to be something a little bit more interesting. Well, I went to the Sunday night We Agnostics meeting, and uh, I expressed my my displeasure with mainstream AA that I felt like I was being ostracized because I didn't embrace some sort of theological concept that they seemed to be embracing. And that it was critically important that I found some comfort in this new path of sobriety. And at the end of that meeting, this older gentleman with a very thick New York accent came up to me And he said, are you really an alcoholic? And I said, yeah, I am certainly a member of the tribe. And he handed me a little piece of paper. And it was like one of those little pieces of paper one gets inside of a fortune cookie. And on it was the name Charlie with seven digits. Back then, I believe Charlie thought everybody in Southern California still lived in area code 213. And he said to me, if you want to discuss the higher power aspects of Alcoholics Anonymous or anything else in relationship to being sober, please feel free to give me a call. Well, I did. And after a month of conversations with Charlie, I asked him to be my sponsor. It was probably one of the wisest decisions 
that I ever fell into in my life. Charlie was not what many would consider to be an easy sponsor, at least with me. Um, he was very strict. He was he he insisted upon a particular discipline, and it was absolutely what I needed. And it was a pathway into AA where I was able to dismiss all of what I felt was a bunch of, of magical thinking nonsense. And Charlie, as we all have stories about watching him make contributions of selflessness, the one thing that always impressed me about Charlie in the early years, Charlie would do these things of uh, oh, unconditional kindness without looking for any kind of audience. Actually, I felt that he was always trying to avoid audiences that would label him as some sort of kind individual. He truly was a holy man from my perspective. And the, there were three things that Charlie insisted upon for me, and he insisted upon himself and for many people that he encountered. Uh, and that was living with rigorous honesty, consistent responsibility, and live a life of unconditional love. End of story. And it has burned itself into my consciousness that that is truly a path of righteous living and of responsible living. And it is my sincere hope that that wisdom that he imparted to me can be shared with others and that the spirit of Charlie and that, that spirit of giving without any theological participles can continue to live on. And outside of that, uh, I, there's really not a lot more that I can contribute to the magnificence of this human being. I did write a, an obituary for Charlie, which appeared in We Agnostica. And I believe that's still available online where I expressed my deep affection for him and told some stories about his giving unconditionally. I was truly touched when Maria um, approached me about this meeting, and I was thrilled that she brought it to my attention, and that there's many people in here who it's been my, my blessing, if you will, to have crossed paths with. Uh, you have all contributed to my life in a very positive way, and I will always be deeply grateful to you and certainly to Charlie. And without that, I'm still a Cub fan. And I, uh, I give the floor to somebody else. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Sean. Thanks so much, Sean. Um, so um, since there's no particular order, because I don't, I don't like to be so organized that it's doctrine and rigid. Um, I wanted it to uh, be the uh, atmosphere of celebration. Um, I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to pick Cheryl now at this time uh, in, until Bob 
if he's able to talk after the dentist is able to talk and uh and then uh then we'll go from there Hi, I'm Cheryl Wells, formerly Cheryl Babcock. I am an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is February 1st, 1988. And what happened to me was I had gone to an AA meeting in 1981. So I read in the Whole Earth Catalog, which I don't know if that still exists anymore, but and it had a very bizarre little story by a woman who was affected by alcoholism and was a, had become a raving nutcase and a bunch of other, and I recognized it. And it said she went to this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous, which I had really heard of. But I went, fortunately, that was in Santa Cruz, and somebody belched really loudly and longly during the Lord's Prayer, which carried me for the next seven years of not getting sober. Because I always, you know, wherever I was, there was just God, 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 God. And I did, I'm like, and they'd say, well, if you don't have baby Jesus or don't have God, then you can't stay sober. So I hit the liquor store on the way home. You know, I was told this constantly. And it also a lot of stuff people said made no sense to me. They said, well, my best day drinking was uh, just sucked compared to my worst day sober. And I'm like, what? You know, my best day drinking i was dancing on a tabletop to sam and dave playing live it was pretty fucking good uh <laughs> so i since found out they were lying but you know it took me a long time to realize that and so i went through you know just hideous years of being drunk and sick and trying to stop and despite what i thought of as my hefty brain being unable to do it I come from a very long line of alcoholics. My Irish ancestor came over in 1757. So we've been away for quite some time, but it's all through my family. And I also, you know, I thought I was different then because I went to college, you know, and then I went to law school. I mean, I was hot stuff, but it didn't, of course, you know, it doesn't matter. And then I went to this meeting that was, it turned it was literally the closest meeting to the place I lived in, in Los Angeles. And that was the Tuesday night and we agnostic step and tradition study. And I went in there and the Pope was in town and people were nuts. There was one lady who started talking about basically, you know, fucking the Pope in the ass and what a piece of shit he was. And another person called him the whore of Babylon. And it went on. I mean, people were really angry, but they were sober. And I, this was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in an AA meeting before. And I'm like, these people are fucking crazy, but they're not drinking and they don't believe in God. And I don't know how they're doing that because I've always been told different, but I want to know more about this. So I, but I went out one more time and I came back in. I remember they said, if you check out of this um, hospital before the four weeks are over, you're going to get drunk. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to go try this thing and I'll see. And I never, you know, so far I haven't drank again. I mean, that's what I needed to know was that people who did not believe in God could stay sober and to see them and to see that people could be really angry and, saying some really um, fruitful but unpleasant things. I mean, it was just, it just kind of like blasted my mind open. You know, and I it spent the first year looking around and I'm like, well, you know, there was one guy who read the big book and burned it that may have been Ernie. 
Ernie Sanchez. And there was somebody else who rewrote the whole thing. And, you know, so other people said the steps were stupid. They were never going to do them. And it just, it amazed me. So, and they were all sober. A lot of them for a really long time. And I watched these people and I ended up deciding, you know, I was going to do the steps. It seemed like the people who had done them were, you know, maybe a little calmer, a little more able to like hold jobs, you know, stuff that I wanted to be able to do eventually. <laughs> so I went through all of that. And when I decided, like, I forget what year it was, I'd been to my grandmother's funeral and I missed church and I wanted to go back. Ernie Sanchez was my sponsor into the Catholic church, which now, you know, I think that's pretty hysterical. It's probably, uh, probably enough to get us both excommunicated, but you know, I am a member, so there, I spend my spare time now, I've grown produce, uh, to give it to Catholic worker, so I'm still trying to fuck them in every way I can. I did have, I found out recently, some brain damage from when I was drinking, I do have some frontal lobe, I don't know what they call it, white matter hyper intensities, and my neuropsychologist told me that was alcohol related, so I mean, I I found this group just in the nick of time. I didn't have a whole lot left before it would all be gone. And my, it's, today was, you know, I know I was coming in here today and I've had two very strange experiences related to Charlie Politic today. I was listening to a podcast when I was out um, harvesting stuff this morning and Mercedes Ponder came on, who was a member of We Agnostics in Hollywood when I came in. And she started talking about Charlie and how helpful he was to her because, you know, she'd been to all these other meetings and she had been raised Catholic and was uh, just really angry at the whole damn thing. And Charlie would some women say, well, bless you. And, you know, may God keep you until the next meeting. And she'd want to like deck him. <laughs> she was trying to learn to deal with it. She said, uh, Charlie Paulson came up to her and said, Here, well, you have to learn to translate when they're saying, may blessings fall upon you, what they're saying is they hope you have a really nice day and keep working on that. So, you know, and that's true. And I know that's the kind of thing you imparted to me that I've got, you know, I can go to normal meetings now. Occasionally I'll, you know, especially if I'm speaking, somebody might land on me for, and it's like, but now that I've been sober for 35 years, it's a lot easier. I do remember going into a women's meeting once, and they said you had to say you were an alcoholic. So I said, I have a desire to stop drinking. They tried to throw me out. and So I've been afraid of women's meetings ever since then. But I still go once in a while. And but So I like that another person we had that was very helpful to me was his nickname was Spiritual Al. And he got that nickname in a church in South Central Los Angeles, which is uh, – heavily African-American, because the, he said the first two years, he just stood up and lied. He told about how God was working in his life and keeping him all the drugs and the cocaine and all this. And then, and then finally, one, it just like hit him and he got up once and started telling the truth that he didn't understand anything about God, you know, and it was all just, he didn't get it and it drove him nuts. And so this South Central LA started calling him spiritual out. <laughs> so I mean, we used to have a guy who, would get, you know, sometimes would get in fights at meetings and they started calling him Serenity Bob. So, you know, these little nicknames can, uh, they can follow you around quite a bit. Another thing that happened to me today related to Charlie was, I think I was on, you know, looking at uh, Instagram or something at Reels and they had this 
reel of um, the Honeymooners, that old show with Jackie Gleason and Ed, not Ed Norton, but um, Art Carney. And Ed Norton was putting on this really bizarre looking space helmet type thing. And he was ready to watch Captain Video and then he had to get his ray gun and it was cracking me up. And then I, I remembered, you know, Charlie worked on that show in like 1949. And he, I read somewhere that he was the person who constructed the first Captain Video ray gun. And I'm like, this is really weird today that this stuff is showing up like in the first six hours I'm awake. And I thought I'd seen all the Honeymooners episodes, but I didn't remember that one until I just saw that thing. And I'm like, I think Charlie is floating around there in the ether somehow. You know, he's still bestowing little nuggets of stuff when I need it. I do remember he was always, you know, if there was something going on, he was always there. You could call him. I found out about 12, 13 years ago that I have um, Asperger's, a form of autism. And I did not, you know, know that, but it certainly explains a lot of my anxiety. So when I first got sober, I mean, I could just barely stand to exist. And, and I had become a lawyer, which was, so I was supposed to go to court and like talk in public in front of hostile crowds. And I called up Charlie and I'm like, I can't do it, I can't do it. You know, and he just like, talked to me for a long, long time and got me calmed down. And it was just like, you know, and this where they can just suit up, show up and tell the truth. Of course, that tell the truth thing when you're a lawyer is, you know, they, a lot of times uh, your boss didn't like you to do that. But I remember one time arguing the other person's side because they didn't show up after a big earthquake. So well, they won. But <laughs> You know, these little, it really just made a difference. He was always there at every birthday party. I mean, he was just there and he was always available and he was always friendly. And, you know, you could play chess with him. I remember we started a new meeting once at a gay place and, you know, he was there. He showed up. He was just incredibly supportive. I mean, I don't know how he had time to work. And I know he did work until he was quite elderly. But he took care of people. You know, that was his thing. He loved Alcoholics Anonymous, and he loved helping people stay sober. And that's why we loved him. So I think that's uh, about all I have to say. I'm going to wait around the rest of the day and see if I get any more Charlie shots. I understand those better than God shots anyway. But that... Thank you, Cheryl. Cheryl, thank you so much. It's so good to see you. So uh, Bob is still with the dentist. Hopefully, Maria can, can stay with us now. Her memories of We Agnostics and Charlie and Merle and uh, anything she wants to share. She was really beneficial in putting this together. She did a lot. So let's thank her uh, uh, right away for all she's done. And Maria, can you speak? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Maria. I'm an alcoholic. Um, hey, Maria. Thank you very much. I'm really, really enjoying everybody sharing. Excuse me for not being on camera, but really hurt my eyes very, very badly this week. So the less distractions I have, the better. Um, I don't, um, I'm not thinking all that um, clearly. There's a lot actually that I don't remember. Um, what I do uh, remember is um, a, a few things. And of course, I, 
I um I had been using since I was about 10 years old had a very chaotic upbringing and was pretty much feral <laughs> in a lot of ways I didn't have a lot of guidance and then I was um um I was I had an injury and I didn't have health insurance and um my family didn't assist me so but one thing that the doctors did say was that um you know that drugs and alcohol would you know kills neurons and i knew i didn't have a safety net so i knew that i had to be as clear-headed as possible so it took me a few it took me several years but i did um you know cut down i cut you know first i stopped the cocaine then i stopped the weed then the last thing was the alcohol and then um i um moved someplace i moved to glendale and where i was living there was someone that was uh also didn't drink but he was a member of aa and i didn't want to have anything to do with aa <clears throat> i had as a, as a social worker, I had been to a couple of meetings, but I, I didn't care for the God thing. And I certainly didn't care for the patriot, what I found to be very patriarchal. Um, and so, but this friend of mine, I, I love to dance. And uh, he said that they were, they had dances sometimes after the meetings. So he invited me to a dance and I was really looking forward to that. And I got all dressed up and I got there and um, there's this room full of people. They said, you know, oh, the dance wasn't going to start for a couple of hours. So I, I think he must have tricked me <laughs> to come in a couple of hours early. And um, I was very uncomfortable in, in rooms full of people without being, you know, without having my uh, medication, you know, whether it was alcohol or whatever other substance. So it was, I was very, felt very threatened, but so I was very self-conscious and there I was all dressed up and everybody was staring at me in the meeting. And uh, I'm only telling this story because it was right from the get-go. It was, you know, who are you? What are you? And the, you know, as soon as the meeting ended, you know, everybody was on me, right? What I used to, what I used to say, like white on rice, they just all came up to me and they were very friendly and very kind, but they were, you know, big book, God, big book, God, he, he, he all this stuff. And I was just overwhelmed. But luckily I still kept going to the dances and I tried to go to the meetings. There was, you know, I was he hearing things like, of course, if you don't get a God, you're not going to stay sober. Um, there was some bizarre thing I went to where they made you do all the steps in one night and sit at a table and people would come up and yell things at you who didn't even know you it was, you know, really bizarre crap. And, um, luckily at one of these dances in Glendale showed up, a, a, a childhood friend of mine that, you know, I used to, we used to sneak out of our houses in the middle of the night and drink wine and smoke cigarettes. And her name was Malena and Malena. I told Malena my difficulty with the God stuff. And, um, and she invited me to the we agnostics meetings and thank God for her. And thank God, you know, thank God, listen to me. Right. I'm still, you know, I'm so, <laughs> I'm still hearing this stuff all the time, but anyways, 
Um, and so I, I, you know, thank goodness for we agnostics and people were so friendly and so nice. And it was like, I finally felt like I was in a room full of sane people, you know, people that, you know, were, were independent thinkers, like-minded, all of those things. And, um, it was really, really wonderful. And because my attitude, I think one time I started in ACA, which was adult children of alcoholics. And I remember someone telling me, you know, get down on your knees and pray. And I actually said this and thought this. And I said, if I'm going to get down on my knees and pray to anything, it's going to be to myself because I'm the only one that is keeping me alive. And, uh, you know, of course I was under tremendous, you know, I was under, I was living in trauma at that time, but quickly to get back to, um, AA, I didn't meet Charlie right away. I did know that he was the center of the group and sort of the center of the, of the room. And, um, because I was very much in my head and full of myself. Um, but, um, Elizabeth was one of the first people that I met that came up to me and, and talked to me. And um, I remember a lot of you, Cheryl was, you know, big, you know, I remember you very strongly, Cheryl, you know, being a wonderful example of AA to me and uh, Bernard and, and many other people, Sean at the Sunday night meeting, lots of people. And of course, I remember, um, I, I think Jerry Buchanan was the first one that had a big effect on me that I remembered most clearly, but of course, Ernie Sanchez and Merle, and Charlie, all were, they were like, you know, really, really wise. And um, it was just a wonderful group of people. And I, I was really grateful and felt very privileged to be a part of it. But one thing that Jerry said that caught me right away is he said he felt like the biggest piece of, he felt like he was really, really unique. That's what he was saying that he was the most unique, special person in the world, which I could identify with. I thought that of myself. And, and then, but on the other hand, he felt like he was the biggest piece of shit in the world, which I also identified with. Um, so there were things like that. There were gems like that. And um, yes, there was lots of love and lots of kindness and there was a period of time where I was calling Charlie and I was having great difficulty finding any kind of assistance because like I said, I didn't have health insurance and I had had a, a neurological injury, but as far as other people were concerned, it was invisible. They didn't have really good testing. Of course, I didn't have family or anybody that knew me beforehand that could vouch for me. Um, and it was just like a war zone trying to get assistance and ended up living in a place that wouldn't allow me to work and harass me to death. And I, you know, I was calling Charlie and crying on the phone about all of these problems I was having. And Charlie really tried to help me. And I think he spoke to some people he knew and he finally said, well, you know, you, you really need a social worker. And um, he was right. And to this day, I have not been able to get a social worker to assist me or advocate for me, you know, in that sort of thing. There've been little small things, but it has really been a struggle and it, it was not a struggle for a long time to stay sober. It was all the isms, you know, all the other things that I felt about myself and difficulties getting along in the world or knowing how to relate to people. But 
those AA meetings on Friday night were such, they were just, just lifesavers. I looked forward to that meeting so much and it carried me through every week and every <laughs> battle and everything that I was, you know, had to deal with both within myself and my body with, you know, doctors and government agencies and being harassed where I lived it just on and on and on. It was, a, it was just a madhouse. But that, those Friday nights were so great. It was wonderful to show up and see all these wonderful, normal, sane people that had quirks just like me, uh, you know, thought independently and um, were so open and kind um, for the most part. And I was cake lady, I think, for like four or five years there. And I can relate to it. Linda was sharing because yes, we had, there was a, a nice big pot and I would get these really, I don't know where I got these cakes from, but I think I had special order cakes every week. <laughs> got these really, I, I tried to at least most get really, really wonderful cakes. Um, and it was a wonderful commitment to have. And it was wonderful to be a part of something. That was a group and a room full of people that, where I felt comfortable, where I didn't feel um, I, or I learned to feel more comfortable and didn't have all that fear and shame. And mind you that, you know, um, it, before that and during this meeting, I mean, I would actually, you know, I would still attend the, 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 the God-centered meetings um, because, you know, I wanted to, I, mostly because they were close to my house, but also because I wanted to voice another I wanted to be a voice of another way of thinking actually Elizabeth was my sponsor and told me I had to go to a woman's meeting <laughs> and that was the closest one to my house and she stopped going that's how bad it was anyways <laughs> but um I would write in the book and I would change everything from you know him to her or gender neutral and you know I was just always bucking bucking things and uh so that Friday night meeting was great. And the Sunday night meeting was wonderful as well when I, you know, could make it. But of course I like to go out dancing Saturday night. So I was often tired on Sundays. Anyways, it was just a wonderful experience. I don't think I would have ever stayed sober or stayed in AA as long as I, as I have without the we agnostics groups. And uh, I got out of touch with it when I stopped being able to drive and moved and lost my home and all those things. But then during the pandemic, I got online, and reconnected with We Agnostics. So I'm very grateful for that and grateful to all of you, because certainly without all of you and, and Bernard was part of a big part of my uh, sobriety as well. Did a lot of things together. Um, Milena and Ileana and I used to go out dancing a lot and just there are a lot of things that I'm not remembering everything I remember parties at Cheryl's house that were really great and I always felt so honored to be invited and uh anyways um thank you so very much and I'm very honored to have been asked to participate and and just you know so wonderful to hear and see you all again thank you Okay, let's thank Maria. She is, she's always thank you, Maria. Meaningful to me in my life and my sobriety. I, I'm grateful that I uh, I met Milena uh, as well. Um, some of you may know uh, 
Malena, uh, and um, I I wish she could have uh, could be with us today. I I I I'd like to take this moment maybe to uh, think about um, all of those people who mean so much to us in in uh, in we agnostics and uh, send them good vibes as you would. And um, I Bob, are you available now, or are you still at the dentist? What's going on? It, it, I'd hate to speak before you because <laughs> I'm just going to sound terrible the next to that. Anyway, um, but well, we've run out of panelists that have shown up. Uh, some were invited. Herb? Oh, Herb. Did, would you like to speak about early agnostic, we agnostics and, and Charlie Politech? I, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't see you on the list. Uh, Maria may have asked you if, if you could, please. And then um, after Bob uh, speaks and after I say a few words, who's ever attending may share and, and talk about whatever uh, uh, moved you. Herb? I just have a few words. Can you hear me now? I can. Oh, great. I'm Herb Mendelson. I'm a sober alcoholic, and Charlie Politic was my sponsor. Um, and I, I have to tell you, he always told you the bad news, which was fine because um, because you don't want a sponsor to just be a yes person. You, he um, a couple. Of, um, brilliant quotes that I can remember was um, I was always talking about my my survival job, my my B, B job, and because um, oh I'm an, an an actor and writer and director, um, but um, always needed to have a survival job, and I called it my B job. And Charlie said, No, no, that's where you, if you're making your money at it. It's your A job. You've got to treat it, everything like, like it's important. And then there is his great desire to live to be a hundred, which he just kind of in logic terms just barely missed. Um, he was ninety six points and three quarters. He always wanted us to make sure that we gave homage to all the time that he had on the planet. So he always said he. Was, 96 and three quarters. Um, anyway, I was uh, really, really lucky to have Charlie to call. Uh, and now I've got Bob G, which I'm also very, very lucky and uh, all on a regular basis. And uh, this program works if you work it and uh, giving it away is the only way to make it come back. Thank you for letting me share. All right, let's thank uh, Herb for, I keep wanting to call him Herb. I'm sorry, Herb for- uh, Thank you, Herb. And- uh, I'm gonna get back to work pretty soon, but- um, Well, I'm grateful that you were able to contribute and uh, those were um, meaningful words about um, why, why we're here celebrating this celebration of, uh, for many of us, uh, and certainly for me, I wouldn't have been able to get in stay sober were it not for the 
for you people present and the people that we're talking about. And um, and uh, really the only sane voices in Alcoholics Anonymous. Although there wasn't a lot of discussion about um, God in a lot of meetings in the Los Angeles area, and there were a lot of uh, just crazy iconoclastic uh, individuals, um, there were those meetings where uh, you know you were told what you had to do and and how you what what you had to believe, and um, I think they would have driven they would have driven me away were it not for uh, Charlie's wise words that somebody else mentioned that I had to translate what they were saying, and that um, um, that was kind of meaningful to me. Um, I think uh, Bob, uh, uh, dentist appointment. Are are you still going with the? Um, I'll just uh, uh, if I could just uh, share for a minute. Then um, oh, uh, Cheryl had mentioned that she wanted to read Merle's um, Merle's uh, statement. Um, uh, it, about Alcoholics Anonymous and, and being um, a non-believer in any kind of anthropomorphic deity. And uh, it, if we could give Cheryl the floor. Yeah, I was gonna email it to anybody who was interested, but I could go ahead and read it if you'd like me to, if I could get it to, there we go. Please, I think it would be meaningful for all of us. No, I was looking. Um, Merle, my husband died in December 2020, and Merle died, I think, in January or February 2021. So I was talking to his wife, you know, quite a bit because that's a very tremendous shock when you, and of course, Merle and Annette had been married for 30 something years when he died. Um, let me get through here too. So Merle wrote this on May 28th, 1980, 1998. Um, an atheist stay sober is the name. I did not come to AA willingly. I did not want to join anything. I did not want to go to meetings. I did not want to stop drinking. And I certainly didn't want to hear anything about God. I also did not want to go to jail, but attending AA meetings was a condition of probation on a drunk driving charge. So I went to the required meetings. I'm not one of those people who fought the battle of the bottle. I never fought it. I drank every day that I could for 31 years from the time I was 14 until finally, when the judge sent me to AA at 45, my life was completely in the toilet. Not drinking was so foreign to my consciousness that it wasn't until I was at an AA meeting that I ever considered the possibility. It never occurred to me. My third marriage had ended in divorce two years earlier. I hadn't been employed or employable since then, and I owed money to everyone I knew. I did not have a clue that either my drinking or a disease called alcoholism had anything to do with my plight. I thought if I got another job, found another woman, got another car, I told of mine in the wreck that earned me the citation, those things would fix me, and I'd get my drinking back under control. I told myself I had done so twice before when a marriage and a good job seemed to crash about the same time. The first time I had taken a few weeks, the second a few months, but this was different. It had been going on for two years and nothing was coming back together. 
I didn't know how to do anything except wake up about midday, go to my regular neighborhood saloon, drink into the wee hours until I passed out or made it home, and then get up and start it all over again. The days came and went without leaving a message, and I had no idea what was wrong. When I first heard the term pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, it sounded like a step up. I didn't want to stay sober until I had been sober a few days, and that happened because I identified with the people who spoke at the meetings. Their experiences were the kind that I had, and it was amazing to me that they were putting their lives together, back, putting their lives back together without alcohol. I couldn't imagine such a thing, but it was increasingly clear that my life would not be coming back together with alcohol. But how could AA work for me? I really believed it could not. Oh, I knew it worked for others, but all I heard at some of those meetings was God, 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 and I was too intelligent, too educated, too sophisticated, too cosmopolitan for all that God stuff. How could this superstitious nonsense work for me? I've been an atheist all my life, and I just didn't believe I could belong in AA without continuing to be the chameleon I'd been throughout my drinking years, playing the role, wearing the disguise, and waving the false credentials so I could fit in wherever I was, good at speaking their language, but sad inside that nobody spoke mine. My sponsor was an old drinking buddy who had been sober for seven years. He told me alcoholics like himself wanted to sit around and think until they felt they were able to do the things they needed to do. I know I was like that too. He said they found out in AA that this didn't work, that they had to learn how to act right, and eventually they would clear up their thinking. I so desperately needed the attention and the affection I was getting from him and his wife that I was willing to do anything they said, just so they wouldn't throw me away. I had no place else to go and no one else to be with at that time. So after I put together enough sobriety to be feeling better, weeks, not months, he started getting me into the steps. I was able to see that alcohol had beat me and that I couldn't manage my own life. My own drinking had proved it to me. But a power greater than myself, wasn't that just sugarcoating for the God stuff again? I looked up self in the dictionary and it said ego. Had I come to believe that a power greater than my ego could restore me to sanity? I had come to believe that there was more to me than my ego. Otherwise, who answered when I debated myself in the bathroom mirror? <laughs> Thus, I took step two. Step three was the killer. No matter how you sliced it, it was talking about God, and no matter how you talked about God, I couldn't believe I could relate to that. My sponsor tried to help. He told me to take pencil and paper and complete this sentence. God, as I understand God is, I wrote, God, as I understand God is a non-existent myth invented by one group of people to enable them to control others. He read it aloud and said, good. Now that you know what your understanding of God is, you can take the third step. I accused him of playing games. That's when he told me A was not a theological debating society, but a program of experience. We take, act, we take the action that provides the experience, and then we share our experience. So feeling like a fool and not believing a bit of it, I took a suggestion. I got down on my knees in front of an easy chair after carefully closing the drape so people miles away who had been lying in wait with binoculars could not see me doing such a thing <laughs> and read the third step prayer out of the big book. When it was over, I called my sponsor so we could discuss the experience. I did not have a flash of like or religious conversion, I told him. How do you feel, he asked. Well, maybe I felt a little relief. Maybe it wasn't relief, I don't know. Really unfamiliar feeling? Yeah. 
a feeling you never felt before? I think so. Then he said, could it have been humility? <laughs> oh, well, maybe it was. How do you recognize something you never saw before? That was how I got to the third step I wrote. I'm not going to kid you. I don't think that I had a, I don't think I had really, really done it honestly as me. I still thought there was a wide gap between me and the God stuff that I wasn't completely comfortable with. I took the steps by rote, so if I tried to help a newcomer, I could have it to give away. I read AA literature. In AA Comes of Age, I discovered that half of the original hundred had been atheists or agnostics, and they made Bill modify the language in the steps, adding, as we understood him after God, so no one would be excluded. But still I heard God, 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 God. One minute it seemed possible to fit in, and the next I thought I was kidding myself. I didn't know how to do anything sober. I didn't understand that when I stopped drinking, I would meet my disease that without anesthesia to deaden the reality imposed itself on me, or to deaden the way reality imposed itself on me. I could not function the way I had for 29 of the 31 drinking years, able to hold jobs, able to meet women, able to do things that a human being did. I couldn't do anything without a drink, and I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't know what it would be. I didn't know it would be like that. I felt like a child. I was in a state of almost constant humiliation. Not humility, humility, but humiliation. I didn't realize this much was wrong with me, and I didn't know if I was ever going to be all right again without a drink. I had a terrible time sleeping. I would watch all-night movies on TV. Tears would run down my face, and I wouldn't even know why I was crying. I was so disassociated from my feelings, I had no idea what they were, where they came from. One night I was watching an old movie from the 50s called Breaking the Sound Barrier about British pilots who were testing supersonic aircraft. They would build up speed by going into a deep power dive to find out what happened at Mach 1. When they tried to pull the plane out of the dive, they tried to pull back on the stick but couldn't move it. They would pass out from the G's and the plane would crash. They lost pilot after pilot until one of them failed to attach his shoulder harness properly. When he went into his dive, couldn't pull the stick back and passed out from the G's, he slumped forward in the loose harness and knocked the stick forward. The plane came out of its dive and he came out of his blackout. That was how they discovered that the controls reversed at Mach 1. It flashed on me that this was a metaphor for my life. Every time I flew, I crashed. It was a sure thing. And the harder I tried to pull the stick back, the faster I dove to the ground. I had no chance at all. I suddenly saw that it didn't require any God to take over the controls. I threw my, if I threw myself on the mercy of the random whims, I was going to improve my chances. I just had to let go of that stick. That was how I took the third step. I took a look at my way and let go. A month later, I was given a freelance job, which enabled me to buy an old car. My sponsor immediately suggested I start giving rides to newcomers. After all, I had been picked up and delivered to my first 80 meetings. Now it's time to give something back. He had been taking me to a Wednesday night meeting and helped start in another part of the city, a high crime area which needed AA. I found myself volunteering for a commitment there to come an hour early and set up the tables and chairs. I had to take a bus across town and walk several blocks through a dangerous neighborhood to reach the church where the meeting was held, a journey which frightened me. But I wanted to stay sober so much, I did it every week for seven months. By then, I was literature chairman at the Monday meeting. No sooner did that commitment end, but I was elected 
elected secretary of a Saturday meeting. Before I was free of these commitments, I was two years sober. I had taken the steps to the best of my ability and thought I had a good AA program, but I was still struggling to make a living and was still without a woman in my life. I tried another commitment, this time in central service, the local structure which ran our central office. But for all my good AA life, my outside existence seemed bleak. I had a terminal case of where's mine. I screamed at my sponsor that he couldn't understand my employment problems because he was self-employed. Nor could he relate to my romantic problems because he had a wife and kids at home. He listened patiently and suggested I call a fellow member who had recently faced a job hunt himself. He was sober five years longer than I was. I asked his advice and he nodded his head. What you need, he said, is to get into the 11th step. He suggested I get down on my knees before going to bed and tell God that if in order to stay sober, I would never work another day in the motion picture business, my former career, that I was willing. And that if to stay sober, I would never have another woman in my life, I was willing. I wanted to hit him, but he was too small. <laughs> I wanted to scream, but I'm an atheist. But I'd already gone through all that with my sponsor about the third step, and I knew I couldn't debate. I had to take the action and discuss the experience before I could complain. So I bit my tongue and asked him how long he thought I should do that. Until you mean it, he said. I cursed to myself, but determined to get this nonsense out of the way so I'd have the right to ask for a better suggestion. I did what he suggested that night and realized once that I didn't mean it. Damn, I thought, now I have to do it again. I did it again and again the next couple of nights, but still didn't mean it. That made me try to talk myself into meaning it so I could stop doing it. In the process, I realized I wasn't being asked to commit to unemployment, nor was I being asked to embrace a life of celibacy. What I was being asked to do was to affirm my commitment to sobriety and remind myself that it was my top priority because if I didn't stay sober, there would be no career, there would be no woman. Hadn't I already proved that to myself? So, of course, if that's what it took to stay sober, I was willing to do it, whatever it was. Now I saw this clearly. I meant what I was saying and that nothing more, nothing was more important to me than sobriety that nothing could be. That night I said it and meant it. The next day my phone rang. It was a woman I had worked with at a film production company five years earlier. She asked what I was doing. Before my brain could think to explain my plans, my hopes, my lies, my pretenses, my mouth, without my permission, was already speaking. To tell you the truth, I'm desperately looking for a job, it said. Oh, thank God, she said, before I could recover my wits. I was afraid you'd be insulted. She explained that her husband worked at a large film lab in Hollywood and had a customer who started a company 13 years ago to produce and distribute educational films. He was doing well, but he was working too hard and now wanted to find someone to run it for him. Was I interested? All the God people love to tell me, see, God was working in your life all along. All that you had to do was ask him for help. They meant well, and I thanked them. I don't debate theology, remember? My own view is that getting on my knees to pray to a God I didn't believe in was so humbling that my ego was not ready to speak as quickly as my mouth. I had been softened by the exercise and caught off guard, told the truth. That's what seemed to work so well when I remembered to do it. Regardless, when I was back in a management job in my chosen field, I was able to make some serious financial amends for which my creditors were deeply grateful. 
I soon started the job. I invited an Al-Anon friend to a rock concert a fellow AA member was giving in a nightclub to restart her music career. Free tickets were rife at our meetings. I'm already going with two girlfriends, she said. Why don't you come with us? They picked me up and one of her girlfriends showed me how to make earplugs out of a napkin when the music got painfully loud. She had joined Al-Anon a year after I got sober, but her relationship with a sober alcoholic had lasted. She was not looking for another one. Two years later, when I was five, we were married. Within 30 days for celebrating my 22nd AA birthday, her 21st Al-Anon birthday, and our 17th wedding anniversary. My wife does not happen to be an atheist, but a mixed marriage works for us as long as our program comes first. That was our first promise to each other, and we both honored it through both through service commitments and be, by being active sponsors. After three years in central service, I became a GSR, and since then I've spent over 12 years in general service. Today, there is no gap between my atheism and my membership in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the most democratic organization that I've ever had the privilege and pleasure to be part of. I found that AA... I found in AA a deep devotion by believers, atheists, and agnostics alike to the principles of the 12 steps of recovery, the 12 traditions of unity, and the 12 concepts of service. As we say in the format of my home group, we don't have to adopt anyone's beliefs or have to deny our own in order to stay sober in AA. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. AA has given me more than just a return to usefulness and a sober marriage that's already lasted longer than the first three combined. It has enabled me at long last to do the one thing I can do better than anyone else on earth and which used to be the last thing on earth I ever wanted to do, to be myself. That is the true gift of life and my gratitude is beyond measure. The end. You know, and Merle was one of those people who you could always call any time of day or night, and he would talk to you for hours until you fell asleep. So, and his wife's just an absolute jewel. And, you know, when she was suffering, you know, and Linda, too, I knew they were suffering. Um, I mean, I didn't see how I could survive when my husband died. I just wanted to croak. And uh, it's two and a half years later, and I have a good life. You know, I'm flinging vegetables at uh, poor people. I learned how to can. I go teach little kids about farming and, you know, I'm trying to come up with different recipes for watermelon, you know, to have it uh, this festival. So, you know, it's one of those things, just keep fucking moving and go to a goddamn meeting. It works. <laughs> I'm always humbled by the um, authenticity and uh, genuine intellect and um, humanness of everybody I've ever met in We Agnostics. I'm uh, Bernard. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic, and I would not be um, sober or clean were it not for the people of We Agnostics and, and the people present. I'm sorry for the time uh, I know in Ireland it's quite late, and most of you have fallen asleep or fallen off. <laughs> and um, and uh, I'm sorry if we were uh, 
if if I in particular was um, boring and uh, you know I tried to make um, this event as much as I could a um, an event about celebrating people's life who had changed mine and um, and as Alcoholics Anonymous did and I'm I'm really grateful that uh, Bill and Bob as believers as they may have been. And as narrow-minded as they may have been in the beginning, open their minds and their hearts to allow anybody of any any faith or lack of faith and uh, to the best of their ability, uh, better themselves and uh, stop drinking. Um, two of the things that I was trying to do, uh, but left to my own volition could not. And I'm grateful for everyone who is is a part of my life and a, a part of my, uh, you know, when I heard about um, Merle talk about his wife and my current wife, I, I feel exactly the same way. The principles that are in, in our life, doesn't matter, she's not an atheist. And, um, and I don't call myself an atheist, but I certainly have no anthropomorphic deity and it makes no sense to me. But that doesn't mean that I can't relate to somebody who does, and um, and that uh, they're the way that they're trying to just live their life and be better for themselves one day at a time. And um, Bob, are you still with it, Dennis? Um, I I don't uh, I don't know. I know we were going to go till four o'clock. I I may have mixed up the order. I don't do anything perfectly, but I think that um, now I can probably talk now if you like. Yes, please. Um, Bob, you can talk, please. Okay. Hi, guys. Sorry about that. I have the chattiest chattiest hygienist in the world. She just kept talking while I was trying to listen. <laughs> no. Turn my camera and see me. Hello. Almost got ran over, but I'm okay. <laughs> Uh, it's been a great um, you know, around the world where devastation has happened and they interview people, you'll always hear an Irishman. Always, because they just go there. Um, I don't have much to add about Charlie. He was a wonderful, loving, kind, generous, thoughtful human being really was. Uh, I will tell you that uh, last week or a week and a half ago, I was in Austin, Texas, and I went to that original uh, meeting that Charlie brought the format from to Los Angeles. And I went there just specifically to say thank you to them. They're still there. They're still meeting. And uh, it was really great to be there. It was on a Tuesday, and uh, 
I said, I bring you greetings from Los Angeles and uh, the We Agnostics group that came from here to us. And they, of course, uh, two people said, oh, Charlie Polachek. So, you know, it just, it came full circle. Charlie will always be with us as long as uh, I am alive and those who remember him are alive. And that's a wonderful thing, you know. In Judaism, they say you save one life, you save the world. And so Charlie is responsible for many, many worlds. And um, my sponsor was Merle and Merle got a lot of what he had from Charlie and of course from his sponsor and uh, you know his sponsor was one of the first people I ever met that had done the Course in Miracles and uh, that was pretty cool he, he told me he had done it alone in a cabin for six months and uh, I thought that was really wild you know um, Belief or disbelief, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what you believe. It's what you do, how you treat your fellows, uh, how much love you can share and spread and give, you know. I love Albert Schweitzer said, you know, I don't know you. We've never met, but I can tell you this. Until you learn to become of loving service to other human beings, you will never be happy. And it really is the source of happiness is knowing that you're helpful and you're kind and generous, you know? there. I, I like to talk about all the other literature that went into us before the big book, you know? And there's a there was a story in the third edition where guy says uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is an amalgamation of all the good philosophy, all the philosophy that is based on love, and that there is only one sin, and that is to stand in the way of someone's spiritual growth or your own. And I love that because I came from fundamentalist Christians where at six years old going to church, the preachers told us we're going to hell and there was nothing we could do about it. We're born into sin and you are going to hell. And I hated them for that. I hated that. I I said, I I'm only six years old. I'm going to hell. You know, it's like, and later when I started drinking, I thought, well, if I'm going to hell, I'm going to have a good time, you know? So I threw out uh, religion with their hypocrisy because I saw so much of it in my childhood in the South, so much hypocrisy. They would talk one way and act another. And uh, that is really against the program I've worked for my lifetime now. I got sober August 13th, 1982. And uh, I found We Agnostics in my first month or so. And it's been my home group ever since. 
And uh, I went to the uh, Friday night meeting for uh, the first five years of my sobriety. I went there every Friday night. I was secretary at one point. Um, and in the third year of my sobriety, I moved to Santa Monica. And oh, my God, the traffic became horrible. It's like it was an hour and a half drive to to get to the meeting, you know. When we first started, uh, when I first started coming to We Agnostics, I, I came to a bank up on Hillhurst, I believe. And we didn't have any chairs. We sat on the floor. And then we moved to a bank, uh, a bank, uh, you know, they have these community rooms at uh, 3rd and Fairfax across from the farmer's market. We were there for a while and then ultimately wound up at Kaiser. So I've, I've been to those early meetings and uh, they saved my life. They, they saved my life today. You know, the things that Merle said in that writing he did were things he said to me and shared with me. And, uh, you know, I, I bonded with people in the group and became close with Joseph O'Connor and he was sponsored by Merle and uh, it was all just just so beautiful to have a, a, a group of friends to, to go to meetings with to talk about what we heard in meetings to laugh at the other people to to make jokes about everything and to feel like you fit in somewhere and that's what we agnostics has done for so many people. I like to point out to some of the groups I go to that on page 46 in the big book and the second half of a sentence where Bill says something like, um, we talk a lot about God around here. And here's the caveat. He says, after a comma, but none of us actually knows what that is and you know bill admitted it nobody knows what that is and you know i, I like joseph campbell joseph campbell says it's it's a mystery wrapped in an in an enigma my mouth is still dead um and that is beyond all human understanding and that's all. I mean, okay, if you can't understand it, if no human can understand it, then you got to come up with your own. And that's what Charlie and Merle did for me. I came up with my own. It is mine. It uh, works for me. And, uh, you know, it's personified in some of the books I read as a child. Um, Rip Van Winkle is about a man waking up in the middle of his life. That's my alcoholism. Uh, Pinocchio is about a phony, a boy made of wood, who, who finds out that by telling the truth, you start to become real. And that is the first step in Alcoholics Anonymous. And the greatest piece of literature about spiritual awakenings for me, and um, I still love it today is the story about Scrooge, you know, uh, where he goes through uh, being visited by his past and his future 
and looking at who he actually is. And by doing that, he changes. And that's Alcoholics Anonymous to the T. And, you know, I was I was about five years sober sitting in an Alano club at one of those meetings. And I said to this guy across the table, hey, you ever see that movie with Alistair Sim? And, and I wonder if at five years after that morning where he wakes up so happy, does he still have that feeling? And this guy said, it's funny you should ask me that. I just reread that book. And he said in the book, it says that Scrooge was able to keep the spirit of Christmas present alive in his heart till the end of his days. And my friends, that's what I hope that Alcoholics Anonymous gives to you, because that's what it's given to me. And I'm so grateful for this meeting for Charlie, for Merle, for all those who have come before us, we stand on the shoulders of giants who teach us how to love and how to act in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that Bob was our, our last person to speak because he, he gave words to um, to my heart. And um, I, I thank you all for participating, for uh, joining in. Um, I just briefly uh, want to say that I, I was taught in uh, We Agnostics that uh, what I believe and uh, how I vote are outside issues in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, it's a personal journey. And I'm, I'm grateful that I was taught by such wise, authentic individuals how to live clean and sober and uh, what is an inside and an outside issue. Um, uh, you know, sometimes alcohol took a powder form or I smoked it. That's not an outside issue. What is an outside issue is what I believe. And uh, I never want to, what I believe, get in the way of how I may help another individual. And um, that's, to me, the spirit of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, if we could all uh, unmute and do the responsibility pledge, we'll end the meeting in a, a normal fashion. Does anybody have the need to say something? If you came in with a problem, don't leave with a problem. If you developed a problem while you were here, now's the time uh, we'd like you to share. Um, Maria Alcoholic. Hey, I Maria. Just, I thank everybody, but I especially thank you so much, uh, Mark, for suggesting this and hosting it. And thank you so much, Bernard, for all your work in putting all of this together. I'm very grateful. It's really wonderful to hear everybody and be re reunited. Thank you so much. Brian, would you like to share? I just, uh, geez, I, um, the first one we shared, Elizabeth and Linda, I really appreciated what you said and <clears throat> kind of uh, <laughs> doing what I find atypical at these meetings, which is to <clears throat> Not bash God and religion and traditional AA. <clears throat> and I'm 
I'm a wishy-washy fence riding ag ag agnostic and uh, who, when I came to AA, as a more believing Catholic, found this Oxford group hypertheism, totally irreconcilable with the Catholic catechism and probably per the church, blasphemous. And, and what I do find curious is people who you know, want to drink so badly, which I understand because I used to, but blame their not quitting on a being they proclaim does not exist. That to me is chicken stuff, but thanks for, thanks for letting me. And I came in fine, but you know, then I heard about the typical stuff that I hear. Oddly, which doesn't seem like something maybe part, Charlie Polichek, Oh, oh, you got muted, uh, Brian. Can you unmute? You were in the middle of. No, I, I, my final point was it is hard to me as uh, it is hard for me to imagine Charlie Polichek carrying on with this kind of, you know, grand disdain for God, for traditional AA, for religion. So and, and I think it's interesting to me. I'm, I'm enough of a Catholic. You know, I, I haven't renounced it. I haven't declared myself fallen away. Um, there, there's, there's no need to. The appeal to these secular meetings to me is that I can't reconcile this. Um, uh, Bill Wilson's and Frank Buckman's peculiar concoction. It's not even. It's, it's, it's not even an interpretation of the Abrahamic God of Judaism, of Christianity, of Islam. Into what was, you know, for for Mr. Buckman, a grift, a religio grift. What does get upsetting after a while is is I hear in these preambles we neither endorse nor oppose, but I have to hear Catholicism slammed by people who are ignorant about about its precepts. <clears throat> so, but again, I thank Linda and. And um, Elizabeth, who appeared before, for um, for their restraint and and their maturity. Thank you. Okay, in that spirit, uh, if we could all uh, do the responsibility pledge, and thank you all. I I love you all, dear. Um, thank you all for participating in my sobriety in my life. Thank um, you, Bernard. On the thanks, Bernard. On the count of three, who's responsible? One, two. When, when anyone, anyone anywhere, anywhere reaches out for help, help, I want the hand of AA always to be there. And for that, for that, I am responsible. I am responsible. Keep coming back. It works if you try it. Fabulous <laughs> presentation, guys. Thank you. Hey, Thank Take care, everybody. Carol, I want to come see the Thank farm. <laughs>
and then you can keep going down the 99 and you can and you can visit me and i mean i i oh <laughs> that would be a ways but yeah <laughs>